You are listening to the LTN Book Club, a bi-weekly read-along podcast positioned at the intersection of nerd and literary culture. Our show is hosted by Madeline Turnipseed and is a proud member of the LTN Podcast Network. For more information on the show, the hosts, the books they're reading, and to subscribe, please visit lovethynerd.com slash book club. Hello and welcome to this episode of the LTN Book Club podcast. Tonight we are talking about Children of Blood and Bone by Tomi Adeyemi. Uh, Content warnings for this book, some of this will be discussed in our podcast tonight. Racism, colorism, genocide, violence, torture, abuse, sexual encounter, and language. Uh, The back of the book summary for Children of Blood and Bone. Zeli Adebola remembers when the soil of Orisha hummed with magic. Burners ignited flames, titers beckoned waves, and Zeli's reaper mother summoned forth souls. But everything changed the night magic disappeared. Under the orders of a ruthless king, Magi were killed, leaving Zeli without a mother and her people without hope. Now Zeli has one chance to bring back magic and strike against the monarchy. With the help of a rogue princess, Zaley must outwit and outrun the crown prince, who is hell-bent on eradicating magic for good. Danger lurks in Orisha, where snow lepinaires prowl and vengeful spirits wait in the waters. Yet the greatest danger may be Zaley herself, as she struggles to control her powers and her growing feelings for an enemy. This was published in 2018 by Henry Holt Books for Young Readers, which is, uh, operates under Macmillan Publishers in the U.S., um, They listed about 16 different awards for this book on the publisher's website. I'm not going to go through all of them, um, but it was an instant New York Times bestseller. Um, Tomi Adeyemi is listed as Times uh, 100 Most Influential People of 2020. Uh, This is New York Times Most Notable uh, Children's Books of 2018, uh, NPR's Book Concierge 2018 Great Reads List, uh, the 2018 Kirkus Prize Finalist. This is a YALSA William C. Morris YA debut award finalist, um, Publishers Weekly YA Best Books of 2018, a whole bunch. Well, well, well uh, recognized. Who all is with me today? I'm John. Hey, everyone. I am Matt. And I'm Katie. Awesome. Thank you all for being here. Katie, what's your last name? Uh, Katie to, Garrett. I was about to say, you may want to clarify that we're, not, we're, missing, <laughs> our normal, we're missing our normal Katie. Different yeah. Katie. That's okay. We're excited to have you. Thank you so Thank much you. for being here. Uh, from our mailbag uh, today for Children of Blood and Bone, uh, on Discord, Hagiologist or Colby said, Blood and Bone is a bit like if Avatar drew from African mythology and aesthetics rather than Asian. It definitely has some commonalities with later Harry Potters and Avatar The Last Airbender teen-driven stories that are fleshing out both a complex mythos-slash-magic system and a unique socio-political world. Caffeine247, or Brian, on Discord, said, Children of Blood and Bone was a good read. Excited to see that becoming a movie. Yes, it's true. Get excited for a movie sometime in our future. (laughs) Uh, On Facebook, Alicia Bagley says, So good. Uh, Kate Smith says, Heads up, I've seen this advertised 
as like an African Harry Potter. And it's really not like books one through five. It's really well written, but I read during the pandemic and it caused some anxiety for me with pacing and tone on top of very stressful job and postpartum hormones. But it's a very interesting world. Lots of cool concepts, but more like a Hunger Games book three or Ashes in the Ember for pacing and tone rather than Harry Potter. I definitely agree, Kate. Um, I, I We'll talk about this later. I don't get any Harry Potter vibes from this at all. Not a single one. No. There's magic, but it's a different <laughs> kind of magic mm-hmm. with incantations based off of a, of a real language, kind of. So. And they're not mm-hmm. saying Sherbert. That's about it. <laughs> no, no one says Sherbert Levin in this book, not a single one. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, Matt, this was your nomination for us. Um, why yes, did you was. pick this book for us to read? Uh, I picked it because I'm rooting for everybody black. Uh, and I had not read it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I had heard great things about it. So I was like, yeah, let's, let's go with this one. Uh, and also because it was not set in the United States. It wasn't set in a Western area. Um, I we've, we've done a lot of stuff set in Western world. So I wanted to go somewhere else with it. So those were my reasons for picking this book. Very nice. I'm excited. Oh, and you had a mailbag quote for us too, didn't you, Matt? Yes. Well, yes. Right before we recorded this, I was recording with my co-host on another show and he expressed his uh, jealousy that he is not on the book club podcast. And <laughs> which uh, and I said, Hey, you weren't even in LTN at that time, bro. Like, you know, Sorry, um, but I know he would love to be on a future episode, and he loves the fact that we have read so many different books by people of color and, uh, and just have a wide range of really enjoyable books, so uh, that was really cool to hear right before coming on with you all. of the gate um we're gonna be hitting it big tonight um there's an author's note at the end of children of blood and bone and uh, adiemi talks about um her main reasons for writing this book and she said that she wrote this as a response to uh so much police brutality uh, that she was witnessing in the news and she wrote this in 2018 um or at least this was published in 2018 so she was writing this years before um, the events that are most recently in many people's minds of, of the Black Lives Matter protests of 2020. She says this in her note, Children of Blood and Bone was written during a time where I kept turning on the news and seeing stories of unarmed Black men, women, and children being shot by police. I felt afraid and angry and helpless, but this book was the one thing that made me feel like I could do something about it. I told myself that if just one person could read it, and have their hearts or minds changed, then I would have done something meaningful against a problem that often feels so much bigger than myself. Um, what are some ways that you feel like uh, Tommy uh, interrogates this idea? And do you feel like it was done well? Um, are there things you would change? Well, I guess I'll go first since I'm, because um, uh, <laughs> I nominated the book and such. I, you know, I was glad to read that afterwards. Um, 
and I'm glad that I read it afterwards because honestly, I didn't get a a police brutality um, vibe for from it. Um, as far as like that being the main vision of the book, uh, that may, it may have been the catalyst, but there was so it was so much more depth to uh, to the book that it definitely did not give me that vibe that said, "Hey, I this impacted me, so I wrote a book about it." There was there's just so much more to to life that's in. Uh, children blood and bone for it to just be a anti-police brutality mm-hmm. book um so for me like i just i look at it as i can't say it addressed that that much to me because there were so many more instances of of colorism um of nationalism um the you know the the magic um, the the self uh, the self hatred self inflection. Mm. Um, there was just so so much more going on there. Uh, class, you know, the, the the class warfare within it. Um, the the mental aspects, you know, for for grief and loss, um, anger. Like it just it was so you know there was just so many com- you know some many compounding elements to it that. Um, that makes sense and that would happen within responding to uh, a police, you know, a, a Chihira Rice, uh, a Sandra Bland, uh, you know, just around that time frame, you know, Mike Brown, those, those situations. So, I mean, it was so, so well done that I think it's, you know, more than just that. Like I would not ever want to describe it and limit it to being a, you know, this is a, you know, a, a police brutality response set in, you know, a, a fictional Africa with magic. Like it, it's definitely mm-hmm. a lot more than that. Yeah. I would say to add to that, I completely agree that I didn't immediately get those vibes, but a, being able to reflect back on the story, knowing that that was how she had framed it. Um, I just kept focusing throughout the entire book on everyone's motivations and how the more personal something became to someone, the more they witnessed something firsthand, the more someone that they immediately cared about was affected by what was going on with violence and brutality, that that is what caused them to uh, make a change, to take action, to do something different than what they had done before. Um, From... Um, Benta being, you know, brutally, you know, killed for her Magi abilities, that would be like somebody witnessing a friend, like they might have pushed aside the idea of um, police brutality and, oh, well, that's not me and my community. That's not people I know. But once you see it and experience it firsthand or someone you care about is affected by it firsthand, then that is really the catalyst that says, I can't sit by any longer and be a part of this or be, um, you know, accepting of it or silent on it, but that you have to speak out and speak up against it. Yeah, I definitely loved how um, the characters with privilege, like Zane and Omari, um, as they're traveling with Zaylee, kind of had to interface with the systemic oppression that she endures wherever they are because of her um, white hair um, being a symbol of her. um, Well, she's a diviner because she's until she becomes a Magi. 
well, or like her <laughs> diviner status because magic isn't around anymore. Um, and so it was uh, like, it was definitely um, howling to see that and knowing uh, at EME, a uh, Nigerian American grow up in the States, like she's lived the systemic oppression uh, that we face in, or that black people face in the U S. Um, and so I could just, I saw that, but I didn't, didn't quite, I just felt like it was speaking from her life experience, um, which I, I appreciated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I agree. Um, the times when I felt like it was strongest was, uh, mostly, um, in a lot of Inan and Zaley's conversations. Um, I felt like as they talked about the way that the guards treat, um, diviners and magi and well, diviners at the beginning, magi as the book goes on spoilers, they bring back magic. Um, (laughs) um, and some of the arguments that Anon would make and say, well, I don't know any bad guards or the people in my unit weren't bad or I wasn't blah, blah, blah. And she continues to turn these arguments on their heads. And because of, uh, Inan's, uh, connector ability, he can see a lot of her memories and her experiences. And yet he still continues to make these arguments. That part in, and Nam really was that character. Um, when it comes to exp- what others experience and he's, he's a very complex, <laughs> he's a very complex character. Like, are we going in order? I don't want to like go too far into go that. wherever you want. Okay. So, <laughs> you know, Inan is, Inan is like that, you know, their friend that's like, Oh, you know, that wants to say, I understand, you know, to you when like you have, you know, something that they just, they don't understand. And you know, they don't because they, you know, they could never, ever know what it's like to experience. Like I could never know what it's like to be, um, to be a woman and, and be harassed by, by a man or a group of men or what I, I, I could never know what that's like. You know, when my female friends tell me that, you know, you know, when I was used to work for Apple, my female friends would ask me to walk them to their cars at night or that tell me that they would, you know, have a key pointed outwards when they were walking to their cars and stuff. I could never know what that's like because I, I, I'm not a woman. And I can't live that experience. Um, I can't never know what it's like, you know, for, for John as, as an Hispanic man, like I, I can't, I can't connect with that. Um, so like when that, that friend's like, I understand, but they don't understand. Um, and unless they ever live it, they they will never truly understand. And so Anon having these preconceptions that were put into his head from his father and from Kea and, you know, everyone else in in his world to see and experience what Zilly was what her life was, you know, from experiencing her memories from the raid, um, you know, from her time in Lagos, uh, the, you know, the fear, the dread, the the pulse pounding, you know, just the adrenaline from having to, to escape, um, the crying, the, the, the dismay, the anger, all of that, you know, completely changed his, his mindset because he was like, wow, this is, this is not what I was taught. And that is something that unfortunately 
as a real world, um, you know, example, just unfortunately we can't have because most people feel that way unless, unless they experience it, uh, they don't believe it's actually real. Uh, and that's a big problem that we have with, you know, with racism and classism and such in this country is that you say, um, you know, this is a terrible thing. And they're like, well, my life's been hard too. Well, that's true. But your life has never been hard because of this. Your life has been hard, sure. But your life has never been hard because of the color of your skin. And this is because your hair is white, because you're a diviner, you're not groped, you're not taken advantage of, your taxes aren't you know, being unfairly levied against you. You don't have to, you're not going to be placed in the stocks and made to work as a slave for the rest of your life just because your hair is white. So, uh, you know, Inan's that real life counterpart where it's like, well, if it's not happening to me, it's not real. Inan is a really interesting uh, contrast to his sister, um, whose journey we also see uh, in the book. Um, Katie, you talked a little bit about her kind of um, moment of clarity right at the beginning of the book. She witnesses one of her best friends, her servants, who is a diviner, um, get killed by King Saran um, right in the moment that her power manifests, which is particularly cruel. Um, And she has a complete uh, 180 uh, from from where uh, Inan Inan started out and where Inan ended up as well. Yeah, um, her witnessing. I mean, that connection between her and Benta, her servant slash friend, um, was unconventional anyway. I mean, it was kind of shocking that her parents would even let her be close enough, and it just shows maybe how little they really do care about her, that they weren't even keeping an eye on this really close friendship where we had even commented um, in the discord that maybe a hint of uh, romance between the two of them. It's not Mm -hmm. ever overtly stated. Um, I read some comments on Goodreads or whatever, where people asked if there were any um, LGBTQ relationships in the book. And everyone was like, no, 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 it's just a friend. It's just a friend. But Definitely, they emphasize that relationship being very close between the two of them. Mm-hmm. And the fact that her parents even allowed her to befriend this diviner. I mean, it's very clear her white hair and everything, she is a diviner and a servant. So, both of those factors kind of make it surprising that they are that close. Um, but where Amari was willing to just kind of look the other way, it's not really my issue. You know, I'm just going to live my palace life, which she didn't seem all that excited about either. Um, but as soon as she saw Benta um, cut down, it, as soon as her powers were awakened, then everything changed for her and she knew nothing would ever be the same again. And that led her to uh, never look back. It really seems like throughout the whole rest of the book, she never really changes her mind on um, wanting to be kind of pro magi, pro diviners, you know, uh, they shouldn't be treated that way. And um, you know, that she kind of was the only one that had unwavering beliefs. It seems like throughout the book. Yeah. Even more than Zaley at times. um, I think Amari was the most gung ho the whole way, even though she seems like in her 
and how much she believes in herself. She wavers certainly at times. Mm-hmm. Um, and she comes into her own kind of as a, as a leader towards the end. Um, but she, Zaley at the beginning was very upset to have, uh, to be imposed upon <laughs> by this bratty princess who mm-hmm. doesn't know anything about the world and wants to tell her what to do. <laughs> Give her so, responsibility. So there's, um, for me, I, I didn't feel like there was any, you know, romantic relationship between them because I, it reminded me of, uh, of Roots. I don't know if any of you have seen Roots or Red Roots, mm-hmm. um, but, uh, okay, to make it a long, Roots is a long, long story. So <laughs> to make a long story short, um, Kizzy, the daughter of the primary uh, person in Roots, Kunta Kinte, his daughter, she um, she was friends with the slave master's daughter. The slave master's daughter had taught her to read, um, which, of course, obviously not allowed. And they had a very, very close relationship. Um, Kizzy is the uh, granddaughter of Kunta Kinte, who is the son of uh, Amoro and Binta Kinte, um, which is where I believe Binta got uh, Binta got her name mm. from. Mm. So that's I believe that they just had like a super close relationship, um, and seeing that that very close friend who really you know wasn't supposed to be her friend um that you know it's not supposed to be that close but it's not uncommon uh especially like you said like it's you know, odd like for me that's not odd because you know because slave masters did that all the time um they had you know companions in their house that they that they made out of out of their you know, slaves in their home so that best friend being you know being a slave not not hard at all of a thought process for me um the connection that they had being genuine you know wanting to escape together because she felt trapped that was that was you know really cool mm-hmm. um and the fact that it kind of shell shocked her into action um you know is the big catalyst you know, for for Mari as she you know, decide to, to take up. But as we learn about her, you know, her scar and the, the training and the life and the upbringing she had, I mean, yeah, she wanted to run away. Like, <laughs> okay, I get it. I get yep. why you wanted to run away. Uh, that I would, I would, I would have went away before my friend got killed. Like I, I wouldn't mm-hmm. have been there. I, I would have, I would have been gone. I don't know why. I don't know what she, I was like, sister, what was you waiting for? Like mm. you and your friends should have been out. <laughs> yeah, that's a good uh, parallel that I hadn't. You know, I-, I was thinking more nobility and classism rather than um, slave master and owner and uh, you know slave relationship. So that's a good connection to to show that closeness of that relationship that I hadn't considered. Mm-hmm. Uh, to round out our, our our famous four in the book, um, Sealy's brother accompanies them as well, uh, Zane. Um, he doesn't get POV. Who is also Amari's love interest. 
Yes. Yay. So just uh, <laughs> to round it all out to, we got a brother and sister and a brother and sister and they're creating this weird love X love, love <laughs> party. Going yeah, on. Love X. <laughs> it would have made the weddings very simple though. I mean, you know, yeah. Same guest list. Exactly. Same guest list. Yeah. <laughs> just, and, yeah. and you don't have to worry about one half the family even showing up. So, because <laughs> they're dead. Over. Oh, not even just because they're, just they're dead, just because they don't like the other ones. But actually, you don't have to worry about any showing up because half is dead and the other half hates it. So, yeah, that way just got really yeah. depressing. Oh, yeah, I was just thinking that. Nayla, the the lion heir. That's it. Like that's <laughs> it. Yeah, Na- Nayla's there, and that's about it. Yay! Oh, um, way to make Zane, it dark, John. I wasn't even thinking that. Oh, sorry. I was like, well, I mean, I was about to say, I was like, Zaylee's a reaper. She can just bring them all back real quick and they can all just be there. There we go. We'll bring back everybody's ghost for the wedding. (laughs) Um, You haven't passed on well. We we know that. We're just going to pull you up for this wedding. Now you can pass on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is real. This is what your resolved business is, right? Let's pull you out of hell so that you can come up and and go to my wedding wedding. and pass on to. <laughs> or whatever they call heaven in this world. Um, I like Zane as a character. Mm-hmm. I think he is he's pretty he's pretty mellow, um, well rounded. I like that he isn't your typical sidekick character, even though he's not really a sidekick. But he, he does come across that way. He he is who you would expect to be the hero of this story, right? Yeah, he is. Mm-hmm. He is a big athletic man um he's a kosadan right so mm-hmm. he's got he and he is like um, what does that mean who, john oh uh, kosadan is the term for people in orisha who are not of magic descent or don't show signs of, of being of magic descent who because aren't dividers. obviously yeah. Yeah, obviously Zane and Zaylee have the same mother and father, so he is of magic descent. He just doesn't have the white hair of mm-hmm. being a diviner, and so he can pass as being a normal Orishan, um, which he has built his life off of that, right? He's been taking care of his dad. He's been taking care of his his sister because he's been playing the sports ball and making all these friends and <laughs> Because like he's been he's been living his life up in society and then he loses it all because Zaylee runs Amari runs into Zaylee. Zaylee's magic is reawakened and they have to go, you know, revive magic. Um, so yeah, it's uh it's been it's really cool. I don't know. And then obviously like his friends who awaken their magic and become pretty awesome people. Oh, I don't know. So They're, good. That is such a good scene. But then, like, gotta, also, gotta like, be glad he was out there living his life because he wouldn't have made them friends if he wasn't. That's that's sports true. ball <laughs> saves the day. Yes, right. <laughs> um, like, could you imagine being the one that has like all of the power, and then all of a sudden there's a dynamic shift to where like he is no longer the main like person in their family, like. His life was going for to be. He was going to be the star of the family of the show. He's going to go could, pro. He's going to get. Yeah, he's going to go pro. He's going to buy his dad a house and let, and mm-hmm. Lagos like they're gonna they're gonna live it up. You know, he's gonna he's gonna build a uh, an arena in Illorine mm-hmm. for his hometown roots. Yeah, um, and then all of that just gets burned to the ground. Literally. Quite literally. Yeah. Um, yeah. And 
he has to go now and be some, a support to and a protector for his sister who's trying to just like to flip the tables of the country and completely change the entire world. Um, and he well, does it with yeah. like basically no complaint. Yeah. Well, like, okay, just, you can't see no complaint. So good. Basically but no complaint. But no, he, went, he complains, but the thing about Zane, that I think he, despite the little complaining he does is that he did it and he helped be, without hesitation. There was yeah. zero hesitation for him to help and come to his sister's aid. He was like, okay, let's do this. Um, and the only thing he had any hesitation on was when, you know, he saw uh, Zalian and Nam making out at the, at the, at the party. That mm-hmm. was the only time he was like, okay, I can't do this. But, you know, he sent her on a mission to sell a fish. She sold the fish, you know, happened to bump into a princess <laughs> that happened to have, that, that just happened to have a magical scroll that happened to awake her magic. Um, and they happened to be under attack and he, somehow knew to be around there and jump over the fence with uh on Nalia's back and was like let's go like no questions asked so like that part is really cool because he's 100 percent loyal to his family uh 100 loyal to his area and honestly i don't even think he even though he had plans i don't think that's what he wanted out of life like i don't think he wanted to be the star be the leader he did it because their mother was gone their father mm-hmm. was broken by what happened to you know, their mother being murdered in the raid. And mm-hmm. it was just his responsibility as the eldest child, as the male, yeah. you know, to, to do it. Like he, that's that he had no choice. His choice is he had to do it. So, well, pre raid is the family dynamic would have been very different because he was born without, without being a diviner. Right. But his mother was, was a leader in the, in the Reaper clan. And so he probably didn't expect to have any kind of social standing amongst his people his own and in his, and in his family because he yep. wasn't magic he didn't have magic abilities and they lived among a bunch of magic users um and so to have to step up after his mother's death and like be the face of the family and help support them um just kind of shows where that like desire to be along his sister's side all the time kind of comes from if that makes any sense like he oh, yeah. definitely took it on his took it on his shoulders to his family became his responsibility. Um, but at the same time, like it's easy for him to accept a, a world where he isn't the star of the show because that wasn't what he expected when he was born or like a, as a kid, you know, mm-hmm. the first couple of years of his life. So he's also a good he's, counterpart for Amari because where she is not confident at all in herself or anything that she can do and not, wanting to just leap into the action, he always is. He knows exactly who he is and what his role is. And so the fact that the, those two kind of get matched up is an interesting, um, you know, set of opposites, basically. Yeah, they definitely balance each other out too yeah. and help each other grow. So. Zane, Zane is almost, he's almost like the perfect character. Like he almost has like zero flaws. Like, that's that was the only thing I was like. That's why I was kind of glad when he he didn't embrace Inan and Zili hooking up because I was like, my man can't be too perfect. Him, he can't be like, oh look at that, isn't that cute? Like, <laughs> I'm so happy for I, Yeah, I am so happy. My sister is making out with the crown prince. Like, yeah, but my my man has to be, you know, a little unreasonable somewhere somehow mm-hmm. uh, because and honestly, it's, it was pretty reasonable. As an, uh, yeah, as an older brother. 
um, who was who was definitely overprotective of my younger sister um, and the way I screened boyfriends and potential boyfriends. Yeah, I, I, I get it. talked a lot about the other characters but really haven't talked a ton about the main character of the book uh Zaley, um and her journey to reconnect with magic and make it so that um the rest of the diviners in uh in her country can um become magi again and reconnect with um, magic as well i really loved her journey because it felt uh whereas most let's learn magic or let's bring magic back kind of stories are very much like I'm going to magic school uh, style. And it has very much that training montage feel. This felt so much more like uh, watching a person on a, on a journey of faith on a journey mm. of reconnecting with, um, with what her ancestors believed with what uh, she learned from her mother. Um, and also um finding where what her faith journey looks like what her walk with her god um oh yeah will look like yeah how she directly addressed that um the first time that she was kind of attempting to pray how it had been so long that she almost didn't even know how to do it but then she was able to kind of connect back to her roots of her mother's upbringing how it's almost like your parent took you to church or whatever for, you know, part of your, your youth. And then something happens that kind of draws you away. And you still remember like the little prayers and the Sunday school songs and the, mm -hmm. the things that were part of that part of your faith where it might not have been mature, but that's how you kind of came to know it. And the fact that throughout the book, she was able to keep recalling even the, the right words to say, uh, connecting with the incantations that would um, help her magic to actually manifest, um, that she kind of got stronger and stronger. It's like kind of more of it came back and um, very closely tied with her memories of her mother and what all her you know mother had provided for her faith-wise. And then once her mother was gone, it's like that influence was gone and she just was kind of, you know, lost you know, a little lamb didn't know how to find her way back home. And, um, then this whole journey helped her to reconnect in very authentic ways and made it her faith real to her and not just her childlike faith that her parents kind of, you know, you know, it's not like your parents dragging you to church. It, it becomes yeah. your own faith. It's your own belief then. And it's not just their faith that you're living out. <laughs> yeah. I also like, there's so much trauma attached to, um, Oya worship for Zaylee because of mm -hmm. the raid and because of watching her mother, um, like essentially being lynched, uh, mm -hmm. in her hometown and having to flee that area, um, in order to like restart her life because of all because of the pain, seeing what it did to her dad and how it completely shut him down. Um, like faith based trauma is so painful. Um, and it is a real thing that a lot of people struggle with and it have like stuff happens in the church or in, in whatever, uh, belief system and whether that's an abuse of power or whatever, and causes them to kind of step away. Um, and so seeing her kind of wrestle with that and go back and forth, 
um, and being like, is, is a yacht like, is this connection with my God real? Is this what I want? Um, going to Shimdoble and meeting Lacan and hearing the origin story and, and like, um, and it all trickles down to that moment at the end where she sees Oya um, as her mom. And it's just, that's such a beautiful picture of just like coming face to face with, um, with the object of your faith, the object of your worship. Um, and like being able to see that and have that moment of like intimacy with them. Um, after such a long period of time of not being able to experience that, um, gosh, that's, that's so huge. And I mean, we get a picture of that when mama Agba touches the scroll, right. And reconnects with her God. Um, cause she's a seer, um, which so much love for mama Agba. Like mm-hmm. I've read children of virtue and vengeance. It that's just, it just gets better. It just gets better. That's book two. It just gets better. Um, the series is not finished yet, by the way, which makes me sad, but book two is great. You should read it. Um, if you liked book one, but yeah, Mama Agba and how she kind of like Trump falls to the ground at just the being able to smallest sliver of connection with her God that she hadn't felt, um, in all of those years. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I could just, it's so good. I'm just, yeah. Mm-hmm. Speechless and- now. And we should say, like, the reason that there's no magic anymore is because King Saran made it, like, went and studied with uh, with Magi and learned a way that he could uh, cut off um, all of the Magi from being able to connect to their gods. And that's a lot of what they find in the ruins of Chindomble uh, is the, the awful um, desolation that he brought about there. Um, and so whenever, um, diviners become magi, as we see them in, in the book, it's not just like, I didn't know I could use magic, but I had this thing denied for me all of this time by the person in charge of our world. And now this connection is restored. Well, and they, they have a a blood relation to that God, right? They're the descendants of that God. And so there's this almost the sense of like, this is my heritage Mm -hmm. and being cut off from my cultural heritage, which definitely speaks to a lot of the like, um, immigrant diaspora, black diaspora with the slave trade and losing your African roots. Right. Um, not knowing where, um, in Africa you're descended from in terms of your black for, for black culture. Um, which like, it's obviously on a smaller scale in the book because it's only been like 10 years. And so there are people alive and like Mama Agba still alive and she's a, she's a Magi. Um, but at the same time, like it's just, you can see that, that um, despair or like that gap in learning and the understanding and the, and the like being denied access to your heritage or to your culture because uh, of the society where you're living. Like for me, um, it brings back memories of growing up in the United States and going to school in English and being told I can't speak Spanish at school and getting in trouble for speaking Spanish at school. Um, which kind of ties into what happens in the book, right? Cause they're not allowed to speak Yoruba, which is the the language of the Magi. Um, it's, and so like I could relate to that. Um, but I feel like there's just such a depth of being cut off from one's cultural heritage. That's being, that's 
being explored in this book and specifically with the religious aspects of this book um, that I just really resonated with. So I concur fully with that. That is huge. Uh, <clears throat> there's not much more I can detail. I can add to that, but that the, the lack of the disconnection, like you say, it, was, it was very, it was a short time, you know, because Zilli was a child during the raid. But when you have what it was so vital to, um, your life, your culture, uh, the country's history, yeah, that's just, you know, snatched away in such a violent, um, and destructive and cold hearted way. Um, you know, it's, it's very traumatizing and the way, and the ruthlessness that Saran had, um, through, you know, through himself and the guards and such, and, you know, the way it spread throughout the country, everywhere they went, they found people that were, you know, you know, they were afraid. They didn't, you know, they, they had the scroll. They're like, I don't want to touch the scroll like that. You're, I don't want to make myself a target. I'm too busy trying to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when you're in that is a real big thing. Like when you, um, when you decide to get involved, um, there's a real, you know, the, the journey that Zeely, uh, takes but with zane and amari as well uh you know the the journey to restore magic you know there's a, there's a big parallel as far as people you know protesting and getting involved in trying to make social change and you'll come into you'll come across people who don't want to just because they are they're afraid and they are just too busy trying to survive and they don't want to be a target you know um and when you're, a, and when you're a target, you've got, you have to worry about what is going on around you. You have to be mindful of what you're doing, um, and how, and how you're, you know, you're representing things because the the youth and and naivete that they had um, is part of the reason why uh, things exploded the way they did. Uh, because they they never should have stayed for the party in the diviner camp. Um, I know the the diviner camp wanted to celebrate, but you tell that thirteen year old child leader that there's no time to celebrate. We need to restore magic. Like, look, I know you're happy. How about we hold that celebration till everybody's got their magic back? Let's mm-hmm. not do this now, and yeah. let's let's get a move on because. I mean, if that if that if that party doesn't happen, that raid doesn't happen, then yeah, the entire story changes. They they go in you know Inan goes with them. Mm-hmm. They restore magic, um, because he still he wasn't at the part about destroying. He he had flipped from destroying magic. He was like, oh, we can work yeah. together. So they they leave from there then, and it's all good. But they decide to have the party. Some people are like, oh, let's go some. And I don't know now. I don't know the age ranges all the all of all the diviners that were there, but I would assume that they were either super young or just super stupid to go yeah, to right. a guard a guard camp essentially to buy supplies and be like, "Hey, we're having a party!" Like, mm-hmm. hey, like what? 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 Him? If I'm a guard, why would the diviner? Why? Why would a diviner be having a party? Why would they be happy? They shouldn't be mm. happy. That's suspicious. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. you know, 
that, and that whole thing, I was just like, what, what party? Why are we having a party? I, I, we I, have a mission. We need to get focused. Like, let's go. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, let's get focused, man. Like, what, what is, uh, you know? Granted, that's that's almost forty year old me talking. But even at seventeen <laughs> years old, I'd have been like, um, we have a clock. Yeah, <laughs> let, 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 let's get let's oh, get yeah. going. There, there, there's time for there's time for getting some and and partying and drinking and all that. There's time for that later. Uh, you know, there's there's nothing really to celebrate yet. You know, and. And, and, and Zane, of all people, should have known that the the athlete, the one who knows to not celebrate before you win the championship, he's the yeah. first one that should have been like, "Let's go! We haven't won the championship yet. The yeah. game but is not over." Did, they have even listened to him because it seems <laughs> like, like he his opinion was not held in high regard. Like his sister ignored <laughs> pretty much all the good advice he tried to give her. <laughs> yeah, but it, that's true. There wouldn't be a book two without that party. So just. <laughs> Because Bilal would still be alive, <laughs> and all of the complications that you get in book two wouldn't have happened because of the part. Anyway, well, I'm okay with that <laughs> because it would have. If it means really if it means less massacre, yeah, I bet she would have found. Uh, a way however, to book two. however, I am going to start tweeting and petitioning. Um, tell me anybody casting that I, I would like to play Kwame. In the movie, that's that's my goal. Yes, I, I, I just want to play Kwame in the movie. We are here for it. You know, yes. That would be dope. I, I don't need to Kwame. be a star. I just need to rage out with fire, and I'm good. <laughs> I'm good to go. You're a, little, um, you're a little old though, Matt. Just just throwing that out there. But. You know, I look younger when I shave, though. You know, and there's yeah. Come on, they made Michael Douglas young again. Okay, they can make it happen. <laughs> so sure. In my special edition of the book, um, it had an annotated chapter from Tommy at the end, and it oh, was yeah, uh, the that. part with the dancing um, at the party. And she was talking about like where she would want her cameo to be when they make you know the movie or the series or whatever. And she was like, "Oh, I could be this like dancing girl. Like she's only in it for a little bit, but she's oh, got yeah. a moment in the spotlight. And then like later when she's like making eyes at uh, it's Zane, right? She's making yeah. eyes." At Zane. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And then Tommy's like, "Yeah, maybe not. I don't know if I can pull that <laughs> off." Like, no, just kidding. I don't want to be that character anymore. In my cameo. Based on, based on the initial part of that, I'm pretty sure Tommy uh, her her cameo is going to be at the buffet table uh, during right. the party. Yeah, she yeah. talks about how Zayla could just eat and eat and eat, and as a girl after her own heart. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. I need to be in that one. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, that's that's for me. Check this. Speaking of Kwame, Kwame uh, is able to use fire as part Kwame of his burner. Magic. Yes, burner. Yes. Uh, what other type? What other types of magi are there in the book? We see them all a little bit. Um, Titus, Zayla gets Titus control primary. water. Mm-hmm. Burners, reapers, um, the connectors, connectors, which is what in on, mm-hmm. which is what in on. Yeah, those are the, like mental magic. And There's a winder, but we don't really see that at all in the book. Winder. Okay, let me see if I can read. No, we don't see. Here. We don't see them. Winder, Tider, Tamer. That's where the animal tamers. Yeah, yeah the animal taming. There's, there's the, the seer, like Mama Agba. Yeah, there's the the healer and the cancer. Call? There's healer, the healer cancer. and the cancer. 
And There's then the ground people. Mm-hmm. And welders. Uh, grounders yeah, the, and welders. The, 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 yeah. grounders the welders and welders. of the earthers or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah grounder and, then, and welder. And then there's a lighter, which we never saw either. Although maybe yes, that's lighter. what Binta was. Would that have been that's Binta, what, that maybe? Is, that was, was Binta. Yeah, yeah, she was yeah, a lighter. She had the, yeah. the light coming she out. She had the light come out of her hand. They all kind of did, though. So, like, I didn't remember all those. I'm straight up cheating. It's on the thing. But no, I remember all those. I wonder what Binta's power was because, like, all of them kind of had light coming out of their hands mm-hmm. when they were using their powers. That's mm-hmm. true. Yeah. I think, but hers I were think kind of like um, firework-like, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So she was Jubilee, essentially. She, yeah. Basically, yeah. Yeah. Um, John, the are there more? Is there more she, action with like the tamers in the second book? Because like I'm all about someone getting to like use yeah, animal abilities. So like that sounds awesome. All, all ten clans have show some kind of action in the second book. Yay. Just that. So Please. definitely if you liked the magic system, you'll love the ma- it gets way more complicated in the second book. Definitely we're here for well, that's it. That's good. But yeah, I like that. Uh the wiki for children in blood and bone says that Bento is a lighter. So oh, you I'm sorry. There's something I want to talk about. Yes. Um Saran. First of yeah. all, mm. um I got two words for Saran. And also um <laughs> the one thing I did not like about and I'm sorry, Tommy, this book was fantastic, but one criticism I do have, um, I did not like her constantly putting Saran in this almost sympathetic light. Um, like he was a potentially sympathetic villain because he had lost his family. And they kept on mentioning him losing his family so much. I'm like, I, I don't care. Um, like, the more and more that she mentioned him losing his family, the less I cared about this poor family that got massacred. Like, I, like, I don't care. Like, uh, they got spared from him. You were like, they're lucky. They didn't even have oh to keep being with this guy. Well, like, <laughs> it, it, like, it sounded like he loved them and he doted on them and all that stuff. Um, but, like, that's no excuse for genocide. Like, I, I, I understand. Yeah. And also, I don't, I don't believe the story that he was telling. Like, I want to know what the real story was. Um, I just... I don't. I don't believe that they were. That was the real reason for their demise. I believe he just, you know, was like blame. They they got killed, and he blames the you know the the magi for their death. But they really weren't the cause of it. Um, mm-hmm. But a guy, I'm like, I'm like, you know, he, they kept on kept on going about his poor family, his poor family. And, you know, I lost my family. That's why I did this because magic is going to make Orisha burn. Blah blah blah. Hey, bro, I don't care about your family, like. You're you're terrible. You're you are. You're, you can. You're, you're forcing your children to you, fight you, each other, like and. Why, well, I can't talk about that. I've, I've, I, be strong. I, I've made my children spar before, so I can't talk about that. But, <laughs> but they but they didn't have deadly weapons. Um, but you know, but I've you know, I can I the training your kid to fight and survive. I'm okay with that. The deadly weapon thing, I'm not okay with. But yeah. just committing committing genocide. Um, yeah. I'm not okay with, and your excuse that you lost your family because of it, that's just, yeah, that, that's not cutting it. And like mm-hmm. saying it once, okay, maybe twice, but it was like three or four times they kept on mentioning that he lost his family. Like that, I, I don't care. Oh man, I just drew a really weird parallel of like Anakin slaughtering all the sand people because they killed his mom. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, he committed genocide too. He's Saran. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, I had gosh. a I had a recent argument with my son about the Skywalkers because he feels that all of them have committed genocide at some point, um, which I disagree with. They, they've killed a lot of people. 
Um, yeah. Would you be talking about Leia that way? Well, yeah. hey, I, I told him Luke didn't, but he contended that the Death Star was. Um, yeah, we saw, I was like, he saw that. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> yeah. No, but that but that wasn't. You know, it was a time of war. But, but you know, still, he's killed millions oh, of people. So all I have to say to this conversation is read and find out. <laughs> John is biting his. He was like coming out of his book out of his seat. Yeah, he couldn't handle us like tiptoeing very close to what he knows and we don't. <laughs> right. So good. Yeah. Just, just read when 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 y'all read Children of Virtue and Vengeance at me because it, it's cray cray. Let's go. I'm I, I just. I just <laughs> I just, yeah, I'm just glad Saran's dead. Um, I was I, I was actually glad that my prediction wasn't correct because when um, when Zeli lost her power for the magic, which I which I knew automatically when she said she couldn't feel it, was because she lost too much blood. Uh, they were really leaning on blood magic mm-hmm. once they introduced it. Um, I figured that uh, Anon Anon was going to have to somehow become it was gonna somehow have to do the ritual like with her to make it work mm-hmm. um but i'm kind of glad that that my prediction was wrong um mm-hmm. because it, it made for a, a better ending uh yes, it would have been a little it would have been too cliche you know for for it to have like a happy even even though i thought he was gonna die at the end it had been too cliche for him to be like oh i love you we've known each other for Two weeks total and half that time. <laughs> half that time we spent, you know, trying to kill each other. But um, yeah, I love you and I'm going to bring magic back with you. That was just a, yeah, that wrapping up that way wasn't gonna work. Yeah. And the and the whole like Baba's sacrifice using his blood and like yeah. Connection. It was, with it's a much more powerful ending for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, poor, yeah, I, I didn't want poor Baba to die, but he's at peace now. Yep, he's back with Mama. And he's not getting lost in, in the sea anymore. Right. Poor Baba. <laughs> poor Baba. But like, I mean, I, I can imagine, like, how many other people are broken out there like that, you know, with, mm. with yep. nobody to help them deal with the pain, deal with the, the loss, the anguish that they have to, to live with seeing their, you know, their loved one lynched. You know, just hanging yeah. from a tree like that, like, like I, I know, like I know me, I, I would have been dead because I'd have gone to rage and out of, you know, try to, you know, got some revenge. Like it, it wouldn't have been pretty. Mm-hmm. Um, we were left with some questions uh, at the end of the book, um, which John, I'm sure, will tell us that all of these are answered in book two, or at least some of them. Um, so at the very, very end of the book, we find out that, um, once Zaley has completed the ritual, um, Amari now has magic, which she didn't have for the whole rest of the book. Um, and, um, we're really not sure, um, since so much is talked about with, um, Magi being uh, passed down through the blood if um, there's something we don't know about Inan's parentage and now maybe um, maybe Amari's as well. So 
is John sitting there not <laughs> trying not to open his mouth because he's not even making eye contact with the camera because he will <laughs> say something <laughs> right because he because he, he wants us to throw our guesses out there and then he's going to say read the next book yep yeah. yeah yeah I mean throughout the whole book when Inan just had this like white streak in his hair and his hair was not just completely white you know with the inherent um, magi abilities I that was what made me question his parentage throughout. The entire book um and then i thought well you know then how does that kind of get explained or maybe you know it, it was very clear that saran had a you know relationship with kaya um mm-hmm. but we don't know much about their mom really she's you know just kind of there for a bit in the beginning and then that's pretty much it as john continues making crazy things <laughs> at us um but it did make me question that because i thought well maybe he's not really even Saran's son and wouldn't that be you know extra devastating to Saran not that I'm empathetic to him either but you know that his son wasn't even maybe his son and this whole time that he was you know recreating this other family that maybe it wasn't true like he thought it was perhaps. well we know Saran was smashing chaos so he, he <laughs> yes he might not have been you know with the queen at all who knows uh, well John knows yeah. I should know. <laughs> Honda um or but, Honda my um my yeah, I literally thought, forgot her name because she's like so briefly in the book. I was yeah, like, I forgot I her two name. chapters. I'm really I'm really good with names. I forgot her name too. She's so not important. Um yeah. at least in this book, she's not important. My <laughs> my guess is that there's more to Saran that we know. Um and he is definitely kind of got that Fire Lord Ozai, mm-hmm. very guarded, um checkered path that's very uh, that's not known to many people. So it wouldn't surprise me if he was actually like the hidden, you know, royal love child that his grandfather had with the Magi and that he mm. kind of like Zane didn't get the magic power, but it's in his bloodline mm. so that it got passed to his children. Um, you know what I just thought I think, of, does it? And I think he's new because of the, uh, the magic site um, chess piece that, that uh, Anon was carrying around the time and that yeah. kind of became a gift like I think he knew that the, it was possible that, not even just possible I think he knew mm. that Anon was you know a magi his entire life and that he kept that on him you know for for a reason because uh, Saran as terrible as he is he's extremely intelligent he's extremely calculating um there's a reason why he's the ruler. Like it's no mistake that he's king. So this makes me blood. wonder if he's like. I don't remember if it described the way that Saran's hair looks. Obviously, you know it's not said to be white at all. But Mama Agba kept her head so closely shaved so that it didn't reveal her diviner abilities. Mm-hmm. Right. And Saran maybe never took his. You know. Uh, took his he, he, well, he, he could have had his dyed all the time um, mm-hmm. cut it kept it under wraps you know uh, Mama Agba went to a cancer and had them make it so that she was sick so that she didn't grow hair yeah. that's right yeah. I yeah. just remembered that it was yeah. you know not visible but yeah. it was you know yeah. inherent because she had a, she had a vision um, yes. right, right before the raid that she needed to go to a cancer and get her hair make her hair fall out Thank you.
it seems like everybody really liked this book. Um, if you uh, were listening along with this and you liked this book, we have some suggestions for other stuff you can read. Um, obviously, first one on the list for us is going to be N.K. Jemison, mm-hmm. um, whose uh, the fifth season we read um, as one of our earlier episodes. Great um, black author with great world building and magic. Um, Katie Tejador and I still need to record our uh, like broken earth reflection chat, kind of series, series chat um, because I, we read the whole series. Shocker. I kept reading <laughs> um, and it was great. So just anything she's written is good. Um, particularly the broken earth series is a really good one. Mm-hmm. Um, the deep it's a novella length. I believe I read this um, last year by river Solomon, David Diggs, William Hudson and Jonathan Snipes. Um, yes, that David Diggs that you know from Hamilton. Um, and he reads the audiobook version as well. Um, it's a story about um, mermaids that are born um, from uh, slaves from Africa that um, jumped overboard rather than continue the journey or some that were thrown overboard um, because they were sick or pregnant. Um, it's a fantastic um magical exploration, really, really neat world that they build. Um, I would also nominate the Binti series uh, by Nnedi Okorafor. Um, This one is more um, science fiction, um, but still uh, is deeply rooted in um, West African culture um, and um, beautiful, beautiful, um, beautifully told and I, I almost said beautiful struggle that feels like an oxymoron, but it's, it's a beautifully told story about figuring out where you are um, when you're not wanted where you want to be. And when you feel like you're not wanted at home either. Lee Bard, Lee Bardugo um, mm-hmm. who wrote the shadow and bone series, which is now a series on Netflix, shadow and bone, six of crows. Um, and the two, there are two series of books that are weaved into the one show. Um, Eastern European influences, very Russian, um, in terms of like the setting, um, not so that's, that's a little different, but it is, you know, magic, discovering magic, great world building. Um, from what I understand, the series, the book on Netflix is better than the books in the sense, cause it weaves the two series together and kind of builds, flushes out some of the characters a bit. Um, but I've started shadow and bone. I like it. It's pretty good. Uh, I binged the series in a weekend on Netflix. It was also really good. So watch the, <laughs> watch the show if that's more your speed or read the books. Um, I've heard Six of Crows is, is a better series. Uh, so, but that's that. Mm-hmm. Um, the publisher also recommend um, the Ember and Ashes series from uh, Sabbath to Here, which I haven't read. Um, but they, but I know um, Kate from earlier. So compare this to Ember and Ashes as well, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is a book that I'm currently reading. Uh, Rebecca so Roan Horse's uh, Black Sun, which is phenomenal. I'm in, like almost done with it. Um, and Madeline's read it. And it is a, so this is, it's near and dear to my heart because it is set in a like alternate earth that is pre-colonial um, America. And so it has a lot of, um, like indigenous culture 
kind of tied into it with um, Aztec Mayan influence. There was a there's a character who um, who on the audiobook her name is Shiala, but it's spelled with an X, which is very Mayan, very very Mexican, and I loved it um, as someone who's uh, you know of of from that area uh, of the world. Um, it's written by. Uh, like I said, Rebecca Roanhorse. I definitely, it's only one book in a series that's ongoing. Um, but it's, it's definitely a book worth checking out if you're looking for alternative universes with, uh, magic and religion, uh, written from a perspective that is not East, uh, Western European. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I also recommend the Poppy War. Um, this is the series by RF Quang. Um, Apologies, Miss Kang, if I mispronounce your last name. Um, this is uh, also a story about restoring magic, um, magic uh, coming back into the world. Um, oh, I'm glad. I'm sorry. Yeah. This, they said the poppy war. I'm like, a drug? Well. This is a drug war book? Like, this is an interesting recommendation, Madeline. Continue. <laughs> um, so this is a, is a historical fantasy Um with um, in, inspired by uh, politics from mid 20th century China with a conflict in the novel based on the second uh, Sino-Japanese war um, and atmosphere inspired by the Song Dynasty. Thank you, Wikipedia. Um, it's incredibly difficult to read because it's, it's a war, all of them um, are, are wartime stories um, and they're talking about um, magicians who are not wanted by the army or grudgingly used. Um, and most of the magicians have such trauma that they do have to get high um, to use their magic. And so that's kind of where some of the, the poppy and the opium comes in. Um, it's very difficult to read. Uh, I don't recommend it if you need happy endings, um, but it's, it's incredibly, um, incredibly eye opening and definitely uh, had me asking questions about, um, my preconceived notions about what the right thing to do is um, at, at the end of I'm finished with book two. I need to start book three. Um, and then I put Sarah J uh, Moss's the throne of glass series, which is another bring back magic book um, or series starts with throne of glass. It kind of takes a couple of books to get going. I think by the third book in the series is when the it's, it's very, it starts off very YA almost Harry Potter. Like where the first couple of books are just like, this is more like, children-ish not necessarily young adult but by the third book it gets it gets going and has some pretty good world building um it's it's your typical ya fantasy though so if that's not your speed then don't pick it up but it it is it's interesting Mm -hmm. and it's not a book there are books um written in the universe but avatar the last airbender if you liked this book and you haven't seen avatar the last airbender um, please do yourself a favor and watch it. Uh, there are a ton of, we, we all referenced it, I think at, at one point or another, um, talking about this, uh, this book. Um, it's a uh, bring magic back and um, stop the oppressor uh, story as well. Um, told through three series on Netflix, I think is original. Is uh, yeah, three books. Yes, three, yeah. yeah, three books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yep. Yes. Um, it's excellent. Um, eight more, uh, Asian influences mm. in that one. Uh, thank you all so much for joining me tonight. Um, 
who are you once again, and where can we find you on the internet? I'm John Campo Verde. Uh, you can find me on the internet on Twitter uh, at at J camp underscore over underscore day D a Y um, or on Twitch, Alenshin, a L L E N T I O N is my channel on Twitch or on Facebook, discord and all of the places where a love thy nerd is. I am there as well. Um, so again, I'm Katie Garrett and uh, you can pretty much just find me on Facebook and discord. I, um, I'm just there under Katie Garrett. Um, nothing too creative there, but you know, just, dipping my toes in the water of all that, you know, LTN has to offer. So I'm, I'm not a streamer or anything like that, but I am a book lover. So that's why I'm here. And I look forward to reading more books and sharing more uh, with everyone else so that it, it can expand their love of reading too. And I am Matt Williams, um, better known as Rockin' Mr. Magic. You can find me on the internet, um, most places at Rockin' Mr. Magic. Twitter officially, it's at underscore Rockin' R-O-C-K-I-N-M-R-M-A-G-I-C. You can find me on Twitch uh, and Facebook primarily uh, at Rockin' Mr. Magic as well. And I'm Madeline Turnipseed. Uh, I am on Facebook and Discord. You can also find me on Twitter for like the twice a month that I tweet at mad underscore seed. Uh, I also write and edit for Love Thy Nerd as well. Um, And many of our fine voices here have written for us as well. Uh, next time we're going to be talking about three parts dead by max gladstone this is my nomination i'm super excited about it Uh, we would love for you to join us then as well Uh, if you have thoughts on any of the books we're discussing we might read them on the air Um, or if you have book suggestions for us uh, you can drop me a line at madeline m-a-d-e-l-i-n-e at lovethynerd.com be sure to check out all of the podcasts in the Love Thy Nerd Podcast Network and also on LTN Radio. We have Pull List about comics, Humans of Gaming about uh, game designers and developers, Free Play, which is uh, any and all things nerd is our community podcast, Church Nerds um, that talks about the relationship between uh, being a Christian and being a nerd, and Two Words is a wrestling podcast that we have. Um, you can connect with Love Thy Nerd on all your social media platforms. Just search Love Thy Nerd or find links on our website, lovethynerd.com. This has been the LTN Book Club. Our show is hosted by Madeline Turnipseed and is a proud member of the LTN Podcast Network. For more information on the show, the hosts, the books they're reading, and to subscribe, please visit lovethynerd.com slash book club.